Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 257 of Yoga Land. Today, my guest is Catherine DeShaw. Catherine is a consultant, public speaker, and teacher in philanthropy and nonprofit management. She is an incredibly impressive person with an incredible resume. Most recently, she served as Deputy Director for Advancement and External Relations for the Academy Museum of Motion Pictures. There, she successfully completed a $388 million capital campaign shared by Bob Iger of the Walt Disney Company, Annette Benning, and Tom Hanks. She's consulted for a diverse array of clients around the world, including the Anderson Stewart Family Foundation, the Orange County Museum of Art, Project Angel Food, and Street Poets. And perhaps most importantly for this podcast, she's a yogi. So rest assured that all of those important achievements that I just rattled off about Catherine are very important to the telling of her story today. Catherine is based in Los Angeles and is an avid yoga student, has been for 20 years. So three times a week without fail, you would find her taking class at the Center for Yoga in Larchmont. This is a really famous center. It was founded in the 60s, originally by Gonga White, and then it was later purchased by Yoga Works and has just been a thriving center on a a small block in Los Angeles that has a lot of local businesses and a lot of flavor. When lockdown started in 2020, the Center for Yoga took their classes online, and then eventually Yoga Works decided to close the studio. This is when Catherine felt, and I will let her tell the story in the interview, but she felt a call to do something. So she gathered a team of people together and renegotiated the lease, found a team of investors, and reopened the Center for Yoga, which is now majority female-owned. So this story is just beautiful and inspiring. I think it's something that we all need right now, which is to hear that we can come back, we will come back, and that we need each other. I also made sure to ask Catherine a series of questions toward the middle and end of the interview about how studio owners, community organizers, yoga students can take on a project like this on their own, if that's what you would like to do. Catherine clearly has a long career in fundraising, so knew how to do things like ask for the money (laughs) and get a team of people together. But there were aspects of this project that she didn't know how to do, and she did need to enlist the help of others with different areas of expertise. So I think you'll find this interview filled with hope and inspiration and also practical advice. And I just want to send a heartfelt thank you to Catherine for taking on this project and being on the podcast. And also, I'm just so excited for all of you at Center for Yoga for what the future holds. Okay, enjoy the interview. All right, Catherine, well, thank you so much for being here today. I'm really excited to hear this incredible story from you. It's my pleasure. Absolutely my (laughs) pleasure. So tell me about your yoga journey, a little bit about, you know, what yoga means to you and what, what role yoga plays in your life. Absolutely. So we're having this conversation at an auspicious moment for me because it's my 20th anniversary of studying yoga. Oh, wow. Um, I started in 2002, not long after 9-11, was kind of going through a traumatic career change and was was sort of just you know you're on a you're on a path you're searching and I live near Larchmont and hence the Center for Yoga and so my husband and I wandered into Gene Heilman's Intro to Yoga class and I just got hooked I mean it's really it, it's the simplest way to put it but the journey has been really an evolution so I'd study dance I'd always exercise run play tennis you know all that stuff as a young person and continue to hike and walk and, you know, do all those good things. And so I viewed yoga at first as exercise. I'm just going to go do a workout, you know, like learn the poses and do a workout. And then things started to evolve. I started to understand, you know, kind of from my dance training, like the importance of alignment and the importance of proper posture and really kind of going deeper on what a pose means and how to do it properly and how to kind of both 
get into it and then relax into it. Mm-hmm. And then I, I really started to learn about breathing and the sort of importance of proper breathing and how the, our teachers talk about yoga as being a moving, moving breath exercise. And then that leads into meditation. So I've been a pretty serious meditator for the last mm. two years, actually, and sort of the alignment of yoga and meditation and in the end it being really a moving meditation. And so it's, it's very much evolved for me. And I think the sort of sticking with it piece is what's been a big part of it. And what's been fun is I've not only studied at the center three times a week, but if I'm traveling, I take yoga wherever I go. So I've, I've literally gone from like a funny little basement in a tiny town in Arkansas on a Sunday morning to like the fastest moving street in Rome in like a palatial building, you know, I mean, it's just, I've had this these great extremes and kind of everything in between all most, most cities have a yoga studio. And so I've learned, I've learned not only about the practice, but sort of what the field looks like, you know? Mm. And what I've ultimately come to realize or what I came to realize over that time was that the Center for Yoga's big room is the best yoga studio in the world. <laughs> I mean, I just, You're not you know, biased at all. You're you know, not biased. You just come home and it's like, yeah, yeah, I've kind of been in these places. And I'm like, oh, all right, yeah, it's pretty nice. And then over time, it was kind of like, yeah, this is pretty good. Well, maybe it's the best, you know? I mean, Aww, that's I'm, very I, sweet. You know, it's kind of nice to be your home because <laughs> you so anyway, that, that's my kind of evolution. And, yeah. and I'm very excited to be back in the studio practicing today. So real quickly, Jean is a famous teacher. Is she an Iyengar teacher? Jean Heilman teaches a practice that's a blend of so many. A blend, things. okay. Which she, I think so many teachers in Los Angeles do so well because of, I mean, in large part because of Mati Azrati and Lisa Walford. Yeah, and then again, Jean as well, I think. And so right, and right. it's funny you talk about Jean because Jean has been with me since the beginning of this yeah. practice. And we just had a fun moment where we celebrated our 20th anniversary like a week ago. So that's so um, nice. He's been a great kind of advisor a lot, yeah. right? which has been wonderful. So you have an incredible career. I feel like, you know, you could have been like, one of those 80s characters of like the high powered woman just going into rooms and commanding them. And what was the whole bit? Let me tell you. Exactly. I'm, like, look at me today. I'm in, in your, I'm paying homage. So tell me about how yoga was, you know, offered a compliment to that over the, over the years or how, how yoga has been useful to you in, as you've grown in your career. So if we're looking at 20 years, that's my time in LA. So I headed development at LACMA. I founded an organization called United States Artists, which is a national organization that gives grants to $50,000 a year. 50 artists get a grant from United States Artists, all disciplines, all fields, every state in the union. And then heading development at the really development marketing communications at the Academy Museum, which just opened last fall, which is fabulous. You've got to go. And, you know, these are stressful jobs. You know, you're dealing with very high flying donors, the stakes are really high, and got to stay focused. And I think that the sort of, there's so many positive benefits to yoga. And I think that for me, one has been kind of, just kind of bring it down to the mat and kind of what, what are you dealing with today? And, and what can you just let go of and focus on the moment and really focusing on the body? I mean, I'm, you know, having started in dance for me, the body is so critical mm. and keeping your body in its best possible condition at the age that you are at is very critical. And so it wasn't always about work and it wasn't always about, you know, home life. For me, my life has been this kind of funny triangle of like homework, yoga, homework, mm. yoga, homework, yoga. And so that when the studio was gone, it was kind of like, like a certain level of collapse took place. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So yeah, let's talk about that. The, you know, we all went into lockdown in the U S at least in March of 2020. And we all started doing yoga online thinking it was going to be a short term, short term thing. 
And then it quickly, you know, became obvious that it wasn't going to be a short-term thing. What was that experience like for you? Well, it took me a while. Obviously, you know, we all went online. We all, you know, my yoga mat was right over here in the living room. Yep. Um, You know, the teachers were all kind of adjusting and, and the students were adjusting and the studios were closing. And there was just all of this kind of like, like, oh, you know, moment. And certainly none of us could have anticipated that here we are heading into year three and it's still not over. Mm -hmm. Um, Hopefully it's over soon, but we don't know. So it was, it was that sort of like moment of confusion, you know, now we're working at home and people with kids at home are sitting at the dining room table, working with their kids at their side and teaching them. And you know, this, you're a young parent, parent of a young child. And so it's, um, it was super confusing, I think for everybody, Mm -hmm. but I don't think any of us anticipated this kind of Spanish flu length of um, a pandemic. Right. I had worked early in my career in AIDS. So I had certainly had my share of pandemic experience and kind of knew the horrors of that. And so when we, we were, you know, stuck at home, it was just kind of like, okay, we're stuck at home. We're working at home. We were raising money at home. We raised the last $25 million for the museum on Zoom. Wow. Oh, my gosh. That was kind of crazy. Oh, my gosh. That was kind of crazy. It was kind of crazy, but we did it. It was a whole thing. And then as far as the studio goes, I think we all just kind of thought there weren't any signs on it for a long time. It was just kind of like leaves were blowing up against the door. And, you know, we were kind of like, well, what's going to happen to the studio? We, we Nobody really knew. I mean, or certainly nobody I knew knew. Were the teachers teaching online via the studios still? You took okay. the word out of my mouth. So the okay. teachers knew. Yoga Works um, had owned our studio <clears throat> for about 16 years. They had closed all their studios, moved online. A lot of our teachers moved into that mode. And of course, they built this very successful, beautiful platform, um, I think better than anybody else. And so it was kind of like, but the teachers knew that the studios were closing. And so I, what sort of started it all for me as I, as I always love to say, and it's 100% true, it always starts with the teachers. So that, you know, we learn so much from our teachers. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you know Kim Fish. Did you ever know Kim Fish as a teacher? No. no. Kim was a teacher at Center for Yoga and later Yoga Works for 14 years. And she had a young child. She and her husband decided to move to Virginia, which is, I think, where he grew up to raise their family and just sort of have a change of life. And she had left about two years before the center closed. And then, the, then we officially closed. Yoga Works closed, center go- is gone. And she started this video series on YouTube called Revolving Around the Center. And she was just starting to interview teachers. Like, what did this place mean to you? What did you learn there? What is your path? How did it, what did it mean to you? And everything was in the past tense. And mm. it was like, Whoa. Okay. <laughs> you know, that's a little scary. Um, one of my teachers said, you know, you got to watch this, got to watch this video. These videos are amazing. You got to watch them. And I was like, okay, send me the link. And then I got the link. This is from Dear Vla Kelly, who was kind of the first with me in on this. And, and I was like, can't watch it. Can't watch it. Can't. Felt like you're watching a, a memorial it. service. I, I literally couldn't watch it. It was yeah. like, I, cause I knew I'd start to cry. I was like, I can't yeah. watch it. And then finally everyone's yakking about it. And I thought, okay, watch it. And then I watched it. And the first episode is with Lisa Walford. And I learned all this stuff about the studio, which was fantastic and so interesting. And then there's a moment in the video where Kim Fish looks into the camera and she'd been my longtime teacher. And, and everyone's like, what do we do? We're just like, it's so far, it's gone. We're so sad and we don't know what to do. And she looks in the camera and she says, you live in LA you know what to do. And I thought, hmm, well, wait, was she talking to me? <laughs> and then I thought to myself, I do know what to do. It was like a calling. It was, like a, it was as Laura, your sister would say, call to action. Yeah. And fundraisers, of course, were always looking for the call to action. And I was like, okay, call to action. And the very same day I walked by the studio and there was this 
giant four leaf sign that had just been put up on it. And it was like, I felt eviscerated. I was like, oh, this just makes me sick to my stomach. We have got to do something. And so I was raised by a community organizer. I studied community organizing in college. And, and so, you know, what do you learn in community organizing? Well, you drop the stone in the pond and you, you know, you get the ripples and you start in the center. Like, well, what's the center for yoga? Okay. So we start in the center and I just started making phone calls. Like I talked to all these teachers, Dear Vla Kelly, Jean Heilman, Joe Cara, Joan Hyman, Ashley Rideau. And it was just like, who, you know, who do you know? What, what, is this a good idea? Should we do this? What do you, everyone was like, yes, go for it. You know, uh-huh. people not have been more enthusiastic. And for me, what was so kind of hilarious is my whole career has been in the nonprofit sector. I've never done a for-profit business. So I was like, I got to learn stuff and fast, you know, because we were so worried that the studio was going to go to some other business, right? So how do you run a yoga studio? Well, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Not many people do know, to be honest. (laughs) I started calling people. So the teachers were like, call this person, this person, this person. So I talked to Jody Blumstein, who had owned her own studio in Chicago, Grant Ashtanga teacher, Julie Buckner, who'd owned a studio in the Valley, Lori Parrish, who owns a studio in Santa Fe, Lisa Hasi, who ran Center for Yoga, owned it, and then sold to Yoga Works, and it was a regional manager. So I'm just like... And were these mostly cold calls that you made, or did you have people who connected you to people? Connected me. Okay, okay. I didn't do any cold calling. I just right. very kind, like... Call Julie Buckner. Here's her number, you know. Great. And I walked into Lori Parrish's studio in Santa Fe where I was staying for a while. And I was just like, I want to meet the owner. Who is she? Tell me who she is. Amazing. Like, How do you do this? Mm-hmm. You know? and, and, and then we also, you know, as I was talking to people, I'm just like, help me build enthusiasm here. So the neighbors in our neighborhood in Larchmont were super enthusiastic. The businesses were, you know, the businesses on Larchmont, that's mm-hmm. a lot, but that's a lot of businesses. A lot of those businesses were devastated by COVID. A lot of them closed because of COVID. Mm-hmm. And the truth is our studio had 120 classes a week. We had a thousand students. So we were circling, those students were circling in and out of all of those businesses. Getting tea, getting coffee, getting lunch, getting dinner, buying books, buying clothes, all of it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we were, the businesses were really hurting and they were like, please, please help bring that studio back. Mm -hmm. And so we had that level of enthusiasm. Neighborhood associations were excited about it, ultimately wrote letters of support. And then, I, and then I realized, okay, if we're serious about this, now we need to create a business plan. So, and I'd done enough kind of business kind of plans in the nonprofit sector, like, you know, feasibility studies and case for support and all that kind of stuff. So I said, okay, let's do a business plan. And so then I got in touch with former employees, again, Lisa Hasi, Jacqueline Kozak, Deb Anderson, help me build a budget. Like, what does the budget look like? Mm-hmm. like first year, second year, third year, like, what does that look like? And then who are all the people involved? Who are the teachers that want to be involved? And I created this kind of little rough business plan. And then I started talking to folks I knew in the neighborhood who might want to invest. The first person I called was Diana Buckhans and her son, Sam Doniger, who ultimately became our first investors. They were just like, when you have a business plan, come to us. We're like, okay. And then I love to describe this because it's like people started just dropping out of the sky onto our laps. Hmm. The first person I called at this moment was a friend of mine who's a business startup expert. His name is Michael Barton. And Barton, he's like, he's, he studies meditation and he's got his gurus, but he's also this business guy from the mm-hmm. University of Chicago. So it was like, I was like, Barton, I need your help, you know? And, and he was like, okay. We're going to do a real business plan and we're going to develop an investor list. We're going to start reaching out. We're going to do a best case scenario, worst case scenario, terrible case scenario for, for the business. So we did a lot of scenarios. Planning. And, the ni- and the nice thing is, you, I mean, Center for Yoga opened in 1968, right? So it yeah. had such a long track record of being yeah. A, yeah. a fantastic yoga studio. That- we're the longest running operating yoga studio in Los Angeles. So Ganga White started it in 67 and then moved to that space in 1969. Okay. Um, so 50 plus years, it's been a yoga studio. 
so Barton sort of happily dropped into my lap. And then Gene Heilman introduced me to a real estate agent, student of hers, a guy named J.U. And Jay was like, I am getting our studio back. I am going to do a deal with this landlord and they will not say no. And I was just like, oh, amazing. Get up a little straighter now. <laughs> this guy says he can make this happen. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't negotiate at least like what, you know? And he was just like, I got this. I'm doing this. I'm like, okay, great. And then Lisa Bella More, who is a PR agent, said, you know, if you guys get this off the ground, I'll do all your communications. I'm like, okay. Great. And does she do yoga as well? Do you she know? Does. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. this is an amazing combination of people who just cared passionately about yoga, about this and about the space or about the community in general. Well, and and connected each other to those who had a specialty in each background that you kind of needed to get this happening. Amazing. I mean, you're a hundred percent correct. So it was kind of this, like, I mean, what I love about this project is that there were no obstacles. Hmm. Like nobody said no. Hmm. Nobody said no. I mean, it, when does that ever happen in life? Right? Never. Like, you never want to be able to do this. It'll never work. No, everyone was, yes. Who do you need to meet? When do you want to meet him? I want to help. Whatever I can do, just tell me. Tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me now. Tell me now. Call me tomorrow. Tell me. It, everyone was just like, yes, 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 yes. And I was just like, okay, like, let's just keep moving. So, so Jay, Jay was able to negotiate a lease for how long? Like, well, Let me tell you the story. Okay. It's actually quite amazing. So as I said, we were terrified that someone else was going to get the lease and we heard people were looking at it. So we were like, you know, and we're still like talking to investor prospects and the teachers, again, the teachers are giving us names of people. I know people, Barton knows people, neighbors are helping us out, but we didn't have our investors all lined up, but we, but Jay just said, we've got to go in. Okay. So Jay and Michael Barton go in. They had never met before. They met in the parking lot of the real estate agent. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I'm, meanwhile, I'm in Santa Fe. So everything, all my conversations are on Zoom. I'm in Santa Fe for the month. These guys meet in the parking lot. They're like, okay, let's go. Boom. Into the, into the agent. And they called me 20 minutes later. I'm like, waiting my phone. And I thought, oh, we lost it. And they're like, they really want to work with us. Wow. And I was like, what? you're kidding me. I mean, it was just one of those like almost teary moments. I, mean, you could, I just, we couldn't believe it. And I will tell you what's interesting about this moment in time is that, you know, a lot of landlords have not been nice. They've just not been nice. They'd throw you on the street in a minute. This is not the case with Fred Leeds. Fred Leeds owns that building and he and his agency could not have been better partners. They were, they were like, you know, we're going to give you time to ramp up. We're going to give you time to ramp up to the full rent. We're going to pay for a brand new HVAC system, COVID safe. We're going to pay for a nice renovation of the studio, just a light, beautiful paint job, new carpet, new lighting. You know, it was just like, it was like, we really want to work with you. We understand that this is, is a very important, you know, place for the community. And I had done enough homework online, you know, as fundraisers, you always have to learn about who you're going to talk to, to know this about Fred Leeds. This is mm -hmm. a man who really cares about community, who um, is a philanthropist, who is generous. And I just thought, hopefully we'll be able to, in a way, tug on his heart. And we did. And so we got the lease. But of course, the conditions were you had to have money in the bank. <laughs> mm -hmm. No fool, he. And so then we were like, okay, we got to move on these investors. And so Michael Barton and I were just doing pitch calls, me in Santa Fe, him in LA, and whoever, you know, teachers would give us names. We knew people. We were just like. So you tried to identify people who were both philanthropists and had a vested interest in yoga or how did you kind of, did you have sure. them it broken into tiers of, of everybody was connected to the yoga community mm -hmm. and, and all of our, they were either neighbors before we have four investors and one of them is Lisa Walford. So um, one of my favorite people. Yeah. So it's Sam, Sam Doniger, Diana Buckon, so I mentioned earlier, Lisa Walford, and then another neighbor of ours, Randy Pascal. We actually turned people away. 
Wow. So people who wanted to invest, we wanted to keep the number small. We knew how much we needed to raise given our various scenarios. And we just wanted to keep it, they wanted to keep it small, we wanted to keep it small. And we're very lucky because all of these people are, Lisa's this brilliant teacher, Diana ran her own PR firm, Sam Doniger is a producer, Randy Pascal runs all these different businesses. We've got Michael Barton helping on business, Jay helping on real estate. Yeah, so it's like, and I'm at the table helping with all these different things. So it, it, it's been this great, um, I, I would just say it's a labor of love. I mean, everyone other than the investors have volunteered their time to make this happen. I mean, and thank goodness. Um, and so graciously. And Lisa in particular, Lisa has such an amazing story. And you may want to interview her one day about it, Andrea, because she's so, it's such a great story. So she started her career at the Center for Yoga. She lived in the studio. Oh. When Donda White got that building, it's three different studios now on um, floors two and three above two businesses, two restaurants. And the top floor was an apartment and Lisa lived there. (laughs) And and then the big room was the studio and this very small room was a yoga library. So, and so Lisa lived in the top floor because Ganga wanted you to feel like it was a home, like you were Mm -hmm. coming into someone's home. Mm -hmm. And so that sort of spirit, and he, he knows, he's very excited about the studio coming back. And he's, he's been a big sort of cheerleader from um, White Lotus up in Santa Barbara, he and Tracy. Mm-hmm. Rich. All of our former owners are, are, are great cheerleaders. But Lisa, Lisa lived there. So for her, it's this amazing full circle of starting Center for Yoga, starting Yoga Works, you know, she now really runs our curriculum. She is mm-hmm. the, one of our lead teachers. So she's, she's come in to develop the curriculum. She takes classes with all the teachers. She is the one who's invited every single person to come on board. One of the teachers said to me, the name Lisa Walford showed up on her phone one day and she said, it was like getting a phone call from God. Totally. <laughs> I imagine, I can imagine. Yes. It was like, yes. what, what? You know, yes. Who is this like super revered person? Why is she going like me? You know, uh-huh. <laughs> so I think the people who started as our starting teachers were just so thrilled and honored to have Lisa be at the table. I think yes. you know, she's so well-respected and she's such a beautiful person and she's so kind and she's just such the embodiment of the practice. You know what? She is. And, and, yeah. and every single thing you say is true she really cares about this place, as does her husband, Ross Smith. Ross Smith. So Ross is a technology guy. So he's just like, well, whatever you need technology, just let me know. So he'll like, they live in Portland or outside of Portland on, on the beach in Oregon. They'll come down. They have a condo in, in uh, Santa, Santa Monica. They'll come to the studio. Lisa will be in taking class or teaching. And Ross will be at the front desk like, let me help you figure out how to like make this work. That's great. That. Yeah. This. And what about that software? And you know, so it's like everyone brought their strengths to the table in a way that's so lovely. And then the other thing I love about our studio is that we are now female majority owned, mm-hmm. which is very interesting given the fact that we started as a Masonic lodge in 1925 that probably didn't even let women in the door. I love it. Unless you were a servant, you know, serving meals. Even then, they may not have allowed women. So, you know, this sort of old white men. Mm-hmm, the irony. Oh, the irony. It's <laughs> like, you know, more women teaching, we're female majority owned, we're started by a woman. Um, so it, it's really been, you know, a lot of fun as part of our kind of relaunch. Another thing I just wanted to mention to you is COVID. So, of course, Yay, let's start a business in a pandemic. <laughs> mm-hmm. What are we thinking? And we opened the studio in August, August 23rd of last year, 2021. And it was just as the Delta variant was hitting. So we took the protocols very seriously. Um, so, you know, again, we have the great filtration system brand new. We asked for proof of vaccination or negative COVID test. You have to wear a mask in class. The mats are safely distanced, so we can't be at capacity, of course, for the moment. Mm -hmm. 
everything's been building very, very nicely and slowly. Mm-hmm, it hasn't mm-hmm. been like, we're overwhelmed with students. It's been a very kind of calm mm-hmm. And now with Omicron starting to go down, we're, we're starting to see the classes building. Um, and that's great. That's Good. great. Our, yeah. our, we're all, our owners are happy. We're all happy. And, you know, we, so we've got about, when we were at our height, we were at about 120 classes a week. We're now at about 40. Mm-hmm. And then we're also doing all these different workshops, which have been surprisingly popular. So Joe Cara, Lisa Walford, Paul Cabanese, Lisa Bassior does sound baths. David Lynch is coming home from Germany this winter to teach. The workshops have been a kind of fun test. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We're going to come. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's been wild. I think people are just, I know for myself, so excited to be back together. And I, you know, I would not classify myself as a natural optimist, but I do feel optimistic at this point in terms of Omicron and just moving forward that, you know, it's going to be a new normal for all of us just because that's what happens when the entire world goes through something together like this. But I really love sharing this story because I think there's just, you know, many small businesses have closed around the world. Many yoga studios have closed. It's been incredibly hard on people emotionally, physically, financially. And it's just a beautiful thing to have a story of hope. And that's what this story is. And a story of really galvanizing a community to make this happen. So it's, it's just, it's inspiring. And I'm happy to have you share it. And I'm also just you know, grateful to you for taking that call. Like you said, like we all get these calls in life from time to time. Yes. And that really was a calling. Like, hmm, if I'm really truly listening and sensing something here, yeah. this is it it mobilized you to action. So so that's huge. Yeah, you um, pay attention. We pay attention in these moments, you know. And I think, you know, you're you're right. I mean, I think we, we all sort of felt helpless. It's like Oh, you know, like, what do we do? What can we do? You know? And so for me, it was, it was that pay attention, you Mm -hmm. know, pay attention to your heart Mm -hmm. and, and then, and then take action. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, um, we all have the ability to take action. We all have the ability to be leaders. And I would say to you for people who have any inclination toward reopening their, their neighborhood studios, you know, if there's one thing I learned about this experience is every yoga studio is a community, mm-hmm. you know, the same, it's the people in the neighborhood. It's the people who come every day. People may, might live far away, but they're part of that community. And, you know, if you find yourself in that place where, you know, my favorite studio, which is half a mile away is now gone. And is it still available? So many of these places are just sitting empty. I drive by mm-hmm. them. It's heartbreaking, mm-hmm. you know, so you have to sort of think about who, who cares, mm-hmm. Who knows who? Who can help widen your circle? Mm-hmm. Try to find somebody who knows how to do a business plan, who's really smart on that. Mm-hmm. I think our scenario building really helped. I think that I think there are a couple of different kinds of investors. There's the investors of the heart, like, oh my God, I've got to say it. Da, da, da. And then there are people who are like, bottom line, like, tell me the bottom line. What is the worst case scenario? And so you have to be prepared for both, I mm-hmm. think, when you're when you're talking and you got to be prepared to pivot in a conversation to, okay, here's the bottom line. That, that would be the moment I'd like toss the ball to Michael Barton and he'll tell you all about finances, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. you know, because, and at the end of the day with yoga, no one size fits all. So nobody's studios like our studio, you know, we have three studios, we have expensive real estate on Larchmont. We're not on the ground level. Our capacities are very different. And so you sort of think about, well, what is my place? What are your strengths? What are your strengths? What do you look like? Who are the teachers? Will they come back? Every teacher has a following. Mm-hmm. You know, will the students come back? Are they, who's teaching online now and who's in those classes? You know, I studied a lot of what was happening online. In Santa Fe, I went to classes where the teachers were both in the studio and on Zoom at the same time. And I was like, mm-hmm. how does this work? Mm-hmm. You know? So I, I, you know, you have to be open to just being curious about how does a business like this operate and how does it pivot? 
Yeah. So, interesting. And, and, you know, financial models will be different for every single organization. So right. it's a, it's a, you know, some organizations may need to raise a couple hundred thousand dollars. Some may need to raise more, you know, so yeah. it's a different kind of thing. But I would also say to not be afraid of money. I think people, you know, people get scared when you talk about money and they say second only to death, people fear asking others for money. I was going to get to this because here's the thing. You talked about in the, you know, at one point in the conversation, you said it was just, it was just sort of a project that was meant to be, right? Everyone who you asked to get on board said yes. But you have in your career, I'm sure, faced no many times over. Mm-hmm. And I think, well, two things come to mind. The first is, as yoga teachers, so many of us don't have business backgrounds, myself included. So the first thing that I'm hearing from you is figure out what you know and what you're good at, and then find people who can fill in the gaps for you, who, like you said, you didn't know the for-profit business. You hadn't put together that exact type of business plan. So you found someone to shore that up for, you know, with you and for you. But I think also, like you said, it's super scary to have a passion project and have something that is so meaningful to you and is your livelihood and to think that you might be facing no. So what is your advice for people to get over that hump? Because they're going to face no's, right? In order to get to the yes, I assume. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think that in a situation where you are really starting a new business, I mean, or bringing back a business that had been there before, it's maybe you're not the person who's making the ask. Maybe it's somebody else who's in the community who's comfortable with that. Because mm-hmm. um, I think there are people who are, who are genuinely afraid of asking for money. I think rehearsal helps. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think we, we do that in fundraising. We, we you know, okay, I, I, you're, you're the best friend of Bob who we're going to see. You're Bob. Okay. You know, you're doing the introduction. You're telling me, introducing Bob to me. I'm doing the pitch. This is how I'm going to say it. Someone else plays Bob. Bob says no. What do you do when Bob says no? Mm-hmm. And so it's like, okay, is it Bob? Is it no right now? You don't. You're, you're just. This doesn't interest you at all. Or is it no? You'd love us to come back in a couple of months. We are talking to a lot of different people, so this opportunity may close. Mm-hmm. We were on a, t- a timeline because of our landlord, and so we were able to use that. Frankly, just, talk. that pressure. Yeah, yeah. You had pressure bearing down on you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you want to be part of this, you got to say yes pretty soon. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be today, but the clock is ticking here. Mm-hmm. And so you say that in the nicest way possible, but rehearsal helps a lot because rehearsal helps you, first of all, just get comfortable with asking. I teach a lot of fundraising and that's one of the things we do. We just do a lot of role playing until the person who's terrified just gets comfortable with asking. That's great. Yeah. Or, or backs, backs up to say, I'm going to tell you all about it. And Bob over here is going to tell you what we need. Go for it, Bob. You know, mm-hmm. so who are those people in your universe who, who are comfortable talking about money? Um, mm-hmm. I mean, Barton, you know, this is a, you know, it started a zillion businesses and he, this is what he does day and night. He was much better about talking about the actual business start of the business, part of the business than I was. I was perfectly comfortable doing the apps, mm-hmm. but that's because I've done it for years and years. So it's that, the rehearsal does help. And, mm-hmm. and I, in my mind, even going on a call now, or if I'm with my staff or I'm with a partner, I always do a mental rehearsal. I always think about what happens if we get the no. And I always say no is never no until they slam the door on your backside. So, mm-hmm. I think that you, you brought up such an interesting little nugget, which is instead of taking the no personally, or instead of taking the no as a rejection, you can use it as a, a way to learn, right? So to right. learn about maybe what's missing from your business plan. Like, is it is it a hard no or is, is there something that, that we're not providing for you, some bit of information we're not providing for you? So getting curious with the person can maybe help you figure out what you need to do next. Oh, that, that's a super, super important question. Idea is that idea of well, first of all, you want to know what everything you can know about that person before you get in front of them. Mm-hmm. So with Fred Leeds, I watched videos of Fred Leeds. I thought, I thought of Fred Leeds as a, as a philanthropist and a donor to this project because in a funny way, he kind of was. Mm-hmm. So I watched videos of Fred Leeds. I read a ton of stuff about his background. I read a ton of stuff about his business. So of course, everything's online. You can learn so much about people. And it's kind of like, 
what's going to touch this guy's heart at the end of the day, what's going to touch their heart. And you also have to listen very carefully to their questions. What are they asking about? Mm -hmm. That tells you what they care about. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that then if they say, okay, come back in two weeks, you've got a whole lot more information Mm -hmm. about that person Mm -hmm. and you're continuing to do your research. And so, you know, this is an incredibly beginner question, excuse me, for, but I just, before I forget, incredibly beginner, beginner, beginner question. But how do you identify for each person that you're asking exactly what the ask is? Like, do you have an exact number that you ask for with a particular well, in case, person? In our case, we just, we said, here's our total goal. And we're looking to keep the number small. Mm-hmm. And we're wondering if you would consider coming in at X dollars. Okay. okay. So we would come in with a number mm-hmm. and some people were like, be like, okay. I mean, our last money came from Randy Pascal and he was like, what do you need? I want in, I'll pay whatever it costs. It was kind of oh, like, we're yeah. food for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah but it was like, all we need is X. And, and he was like, great, I'm in. So mm-hmm. it was like a dream come true. You also want to think about who the first investor is because that always brings you to or who the biggest are that helps validate what you're trying to do. Sure. And the minute we got Lisa Walford, it was like, all boats yeah. are ready, right? Yeah. And, mm-hmm. You know, when I went to the Academy Museum, Bob Iger was the chair of the campaign, the head of Disney. It was like, well, okay, the most powerful person in Hollywood has this campaign. You know, that that's like a name I could use when I walk in the door, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's, um, again, you're sort of thinking, what are the, what are the hooks? You know, we have this amazing place. We have a couple of great investors. We still need to raise X sort of, and every, every organization has that secret sauce. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, what is the secret sauce for every organization? And it's always different. I mean, as a mm-hmm. consultant, I know that, you know, just from all the experience I've had is, mm-hmm. you know, who, who really, at the end of the day, who cares? Right, 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 right. And then, you know, you being in Los Angeles and, and working with people, your investors are, you know, experienced professionals. But ha- for people who maybe are finding investors that haven't invested in a, in a business before, what kind of structure do you recommend that you provide to your investors in terms of their role in the business moving forward? So we, what we did, and again, this is a term I learned from Michael Barton, we asked for qualified investors So in other words, people who, and there are rules about that, IRS rules about that, people who can make an investment at a certain level that doesn't in any way threaten their, you know, their nest egg, basically, Mm -hmm. who have that kind of money that can comfortably make an investment like that. And then they, all four of our investors are shareholders. And so we have a monthly meeting with the shareholders. We do, we look at our, our budget against what we've actually earned. So there's a, there's a very formal sort of accountability of every month there's a business meeting, the investors are there, they can ask questions of the staff. We're very clear, uh, Michael Barton had set this up that, you know, investors, you don't run the business, you hire the experts to run the business, let them do their jobs. Mm-hmm. And, and he states that very clearly. And so people understand that. And I think that's super important because mm-hmm. People who know how to run a yoga business know how to run a yoga business. And you've mm-hmm. brought them in, you've hired them. I mean, we're fortunate in that the person who runs our studio ran the studio for a year and a half before COVID. So she knew it in and out. She was mm-hmm. excited to come back. And, and so we, we really ask our investors to kind of just sit back and let the business operate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you have questions, you, have, you can ask them anytime of us or of, you know, of each other. And then we get into a formal meeting once a month. Now, eventually, once the business is, is operating at its best capacity, that will turn into a quarterly meeting, an annual meeting. Mm-hmm. So that's how businesses run. Yes, that's great. Thank you. Thank yes. you. 101, <laughs> business 101 for all of us. And um, really as far as it goes for me. No, yes, kidding. yes, yes. <laughs> exactly. uh, well, I want to ask one more question, which is just how did it feel to get all of the teachers together again for that opening and just how is the community feeling now? I think the 
the opening was joyful, tearful. You know, we had done this beautiful light renovation on the building. You have to come take class. I will, I will, for sure. Please. It, it just looks so beautiful and we kind of did it so gently. It feels sort of historic and, and respectful of our, of our 1925 history. So in a funny way, it doesn't look like anything happened, but it changed yeah. radically. And people were just to see it made them so happy. But literally, I stood at the top of the stairs during our opening day and it was like people were crying as they were coming mm, up. I'm sure. You know, that's that double stairway, you leave your shoes halfway. Mm-hmm. So it's there, there's a moment of ascension as you're coming in. And people were very moved, I think, by the fact that it had come back and that they had almost lost it. And there's still that vibe. I mean, I think, you know, the teachers and the students are very grateful and thankful and, and cheerlead each other right? Because the classes aren't huge yet. A lot of our classes are four or five students. And, you know, the, so you need to cheerlead the teachers like, it's going to get better. And you, oh, yeah. You know, yeah. Like, you're awesome. Thanks for coming. You know, we've just all decided we're cheerleaders, like just keep cheering people on. Because mm-hmm. um, you're like the first in and we are so grateful to you. And then as, as it starts to build, I mean, I, Joe Kara taught a drum class a few weeks ago, and I took a photograph of the, um, the shoe rack. And there were like 60 pairs of shoes. And I was like, oh my God, you know, it's like, we're back, you know, beautiful. So it just, it's that, you know, we're still in a, we're still in a pandemic here and we have to know, and our shareholders know this and they're very, very, very patient. We just have to get through this. Yes. And I think our students appreciate the priority of safety and feel safe when they practice but yeah, so it's, a, but the teachers were over, over the moon. I mean, they were just overjoyed, super excited. The investors were super excited. And now it's just keeping that enthusiasm high when it's still hard. It's not super easy yet. Or it, it will get that way. But the teachers have been amazing. Yeah. Amazing. amazing. And, and so just so kind and generous with their time and their ideas. And I mean, again, it all, it did all start with them. And they're the ones who are making it live. I, I so appreciate that you, you, you're saying that because it just makes my heart so happy to think about these people who were losing their livelihoods, who are now have the opportunity to have it back. I think that yoga teachers are among the hardest working people. I mean, any, any teachers really, but especially, I don't know, yoga teaching, it's 20, 25 years ago in the West, it didn't even exist as a job possibility. So they're really, it's so much of carving your own path and trying to figure it out and trying to, you know, just from the ground up, teach people the benefits of these practices. So to, to give that back to them in that way is such a beautiful thing. And I just appreciate you so much for leading this, this project. It's so awesome. It's it's clearly one of the greatest pleasures of my life. And also one of the highlights of my life. I mean, and I will just say that being stuck on our mats at home (laughs) for we were for 18 months before we reopened, it's like, in a funny way, I'm almost back to being a beginner. Because you just, you know, when you don't have a teacher there live, teaching you, showing you, adjusting you, it's so much harder. And it's, I, I was really, I really got bad. <laughs> and so to be back in the studio and to have that, both the community experience, but the, but the teaching experience is so extraordinary. Yeah, it, it is. It's the same on Zoom. I'm sorry, it's not. Yeah. And much as everyone did, really, we all soldiered through. It's just not the same as being live in a classroom and having that teacher go, you know, your legs, oh, 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 I'm you know, like, great, please yeah. tell me what to do. Yeah. So, so it, it really, it's, and you're right, the life of a yoga teacher could not be more difficult. I mean, they pivot from Zoom to class, from Zoom to class, from driving here to there, going there, oops, I'm going to be in traffic, you know, got to let them know, you know, it's a very, very hard life. And the devotion of our teachers is like nothing I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. Well, Jason and I have been talking a lot about resilience lately in the face of, you know, 
hopefully coming out of the pandemic. And two things that that stick with me that I keep coming back to that this story reminds me of are, you know, discovering new meaning, which I feel like you did in taking on this project and shepherding this project and discovering new hope. And so I just hope that everyone listening to this feels that, that, you know, I, I keep hearing a lot of like, where well, are yoga studios ever going to come back? Are we? Yes, we're going to come back. It's going to be a new normal, but we have to to stay hopeful because as you said, there's nothing like being together in the room and doing this practice. It's true. And the big message to anyone who says that to you is do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do it. Mm-hmm. Make it happen. It. Make it happen. Yeah. If someone who knows nothing about business could do it, you can do it. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Catherine. The story was, thank you for sharing your story and thank you for sharing yourself. Andrea, Andrea, you are the coolest. I'm so honored to have a chance to talk to you and finally meet you. And thank you so much for Yoga Land. And thank you to Jason. And you guys are huge leaders in this community. And we're looking forward to the day when we can welcome you to the Center for Yoga. And we will um, take very, very good care of you. You can find show notes for this episode at yogalandpodcast.com slash episode 257. If you have been listening to our podcasts, please go check out our new YouTube channel where you can watch them as well. And if you have not yet signed up for our newsletter, I highly recommend that you do this at jasonyoga.com slash newsletter. We send out new emails when there's new content and new events that we are conducting. Uh, And Jason has so much new content right now with his yoga teachers companions. You don't want to miss them. They come out at least once a week, sometimes twice. They're so useful for teachers and students alike. Yes, I'm tooting his horn, but I truly, (laughs) I truly am so impressed by all that he is doing and sharing with you all. You can check those out on YouTube too and anywhere that you get your podcast. But to make sure you don't miss them, sign up for our newsletter at jasonyoga.com slash newsletter. And until next week, enjoy your practice. Mm